the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we do so as we do almost every Thursday with our good friend Sam Stone. He is a candidate for city council running here in District 6. District 6, give you a general idea, it's where we're broadcasting from. It's uh, the cam- it's the Camelback Quarter, uh, Biltmore area. It goes uh, it goes down to Ahwatukee. It goes up to parts of Sunny Slope. Uh, it's a good, great part of Phoenix. It's the part that uh, is represented by Sal DeCicio right now. Sam used to work with Sal. Sal has endorsed Sam, as have I. And if you want to help Sam out, samstone.vote. Samstone.vote is the website. How are you, Sammy? I'm good. And you know what, folks? Yeah, definitely go on that website and take some pity on me. I'm running for the Phoenix City Council. Come on. people. <laughs> it's an important I mean, there are real jobs and there are not real jobs when it comes to politics. Um, you know, senators and congressmen can fulminate and hopefully do good jobs and do great things with investigations and maybe get a good piece of legislation here or stop a bad piece of legislation now and again. But mostly it's what uh, we used to call job boning. Mostly it's rhetoric and and um, and debate. Uh, but there are some serious jobs in, in, in government. I think the governor's job is a serious job. I think a mayor's job is a serious job. And I think city council is a serious job. And we have a mayor who's not serious, so it means we need to have city councilmen who are serious, and you're serious. A- AG and prosecutors, I would add into county that attorneys. list. attorneys. Yep. Yeah, the, the Maricopa County prosecutor, yep. all those county prosecutors. Yep. Those, city council is much more, obviously, where the rubber meets the road, yep. where you're really dealing with concrete things. Yep. I mean, so... When you had a situation like we've had in Phoenix now where they can't pick up the bulk trash on time and people are leaving bulk trash on the curb for a month, uh, that might seem like it's just a blight issue, but it's actually much bigger than that because it creates all sorts of potential crime issues mm-hmm. around it. No. Um, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. And and plus, you got a lot of sort of random stuff on the side of the road that can end up in the road and being a hazard. Yeah. So, no, it's about getting things done. Um, One of the things I want to do is stop construction on main arteries during high tourist season. I I get that. Um, <laughs> this might be impossible. Yeah, that's, you're, you're this probably, might be impossible. You're, you're really probably pushing a little too far is for that This is in the one. category of why we can't have nice things. That is in the category of why we can't have <laughs> okay. nice things. But All I right. would I would say I've spent and actually I'm I'm intensely I'm glad you bring this yeah, up. No, Seth, you know this. Is, I know you I, know. I'm it. actually intensely frustrated about this cuz I literally spent 5 years in Sal's office yeah. beating the snot out of our streets department to stop bloody tying up consecutive arteries. Yeah. So if you're tying up Indian school, don't tie up Camelback or Thomas, right? And, Leave, and maybe not November to April. Right. And and don't, <laughs> you know, don't have uh, multiple intersections construction where you can't make left turns at multiple intersections in a row. I've seen that. I beat them up for five years and I actually got them to agree to stop doing that stuff. Um and then literally the minute I wasn't in Sal's office, yeah. they started these practices back up again. And I'm literally – Keeney Knutson, I know darn well y'all pay attention to this stuff. Uh, Keeney, the street transportation director of the city of Phoenix. Keeney, you know we're going to be having a conversation after I, re- after I win this seat, right? Like we're, we're going to be talking, buddy. Um, 
the big issue, obviously, that uh, people think about with the city, aside from garbage collection, potholes and stuff, the serious issue is always crime and policing. I started the show a couple hours ago uh, talking about, you know, politicizing agencies and departments is one thing. And I think you can actually, with will, get your arms around it and fix it or fix some of it. Incompetence is an entirely different thing. And what happens when the two intersect? So, for example, today, you may not know, it it was breaking just a little earlier. Nine months ago, you do know the Supreme Court had an unprecedented leak when when a clerk most likely leaked the Dobbs Mm -hmm. decision. This was the decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. They undertook a nine-month investigation of an institution that does not have a lot of employees, probably about 100 employees. But most likely it's one of the clerks, and each justice has about four clerks. And most likely it was going to be one of the liberal court clerks. I, I, and I, they I, came up empty-handed. I, I assumed this was Sotomayor's, one of Sotomayor's probably, clerks. Probably. I mean, it was probably a, a Kagan, a Sotomayor. It was well, probably. So, so she has one clerk in her office who people have kind of pinpointed as the source of, of other potential leaks, also not of this dramatic Couldn't nature. Couldn't get her. Couldn't get her. Yeah. No, they they threw up their hands. They issued a report today saying after exhaustive investigation, we cannot identify where the leak came from, which means one of several things, including that a Supreme Court clerk, which is, i.e., someone who is actually writing the opinions, probably the first draft of every opinion is written by a clerk. Maybe the second, third and final draft is written by a clerk. Justice Um, to justice, that varies. Some of them are really big on actually writing. Yeah. 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 No, it'll depend. Um what it means is one of them or more is a very skilled liar. Yeah, absolutely. It also means, by the way, that it also means we can't police anymore. Well, and, and I don't know about the investigation and, and how they proceeded beyond government channels, because, look, we have the, the Freedom of Information Act. Right. And every government employee knows the boundaries of that law and how you can have all your emails and your texts or this or that disclosed. But all you really have to do to get around it is, uh, is keep two phones. Right. And have anything that right. might you might not want seen by the public go to a private email account, right. be on a different phone than right. you list on your you know your business card or your your federal stuff, your city, whatever it is. Um, did they pull the phone records, text messages, all that thing? Did they search for accounts that these people all had that weren't official? Are there secondary account channels and that kind of thing? Are they using a messaging app that destroys stuff? Um, even if it does, by the way, those things, I mean, if folks, if you're out there using one of those and you're like, the government can never get me, actually they can. The records are all still there and with a subpoena, they can get them. So did they go that far or not? I don't know because, again, I actually haven't seen I've been campaigning all day. Oh, I'm glad you were doing came that. from another event. Oh, um, so I don't I haven't seen it. But that would be my question there. So what this also means, aside from the fact that there's a level of incompetence, there's not only now incompetence at the Capitol Police, which we know from January 6, 2021, there's now incompetence at the Supreme Court and the U.S. uh, 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 Supreme Court Marshal Service. And it means, as you well know, that the purpose of such an investigation is to hopefully find someone and then sanction them with some form of punishment so that it does not happen again. So what we now know is it can happen again. Well, that, that's the And theor- lives, by the way, let me remind you, lives purpose. were put at risk. Yeah. Supreme Court justices were targeted. Because yeah, of that's the theoretical purpose. But I think what we've all seen and and I actually want to get into this about policing yeah, we'll specifically here in a sure. minute. But um Federal law enforcement, particularly the DOJ and associated agencies, FBI and so forth, um, are clearly basically – I refer to the FBI now as the 
D Democrat Enforcement Agency. Yeah, they're, it's they're the new the, DEA. Yeah, yeah, it's the new DA, but it's it's not drugs. It's Democrats. Right. They're right. just enforcing whatever Democrats want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the FBI is thoroughly corrupted mm-hmm. uh, from the very top. I think all of our federal agencies at this point need to be swept clean mm-hmm. at the the highest levels to the middle levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd even look at the worker bees. I mean, realistically, you might need to fire half the people in every one of those agencies to, to clean them out appropriately. But I actually think that ties into something else most people don't realize. So there's about – I think it's 20, 27 is the number I'm coming up with. But maybe I'm – I don't quote me on that. Um, police departments across the country that are under DOJ civil rights orders. Oh, yes, sure. Orders consent and investigations. And consent like decrees right. and all these kinds of things. Okay. The cities, if you match them up to where the the worst violence was in the 2020 summer love, Philadelphia, New York, um, uh, Portland, Seattle, so forth, every one of those police departments is under a DOJ consent decree by which they give millions of taxpayer dollars from the taxpayers in those cities to liberal activist groups. So they lit- we literally – taxpayers paid for Antifa and BLM to riot and burn down cities in the summer of 2020. We've obviously had – frankly, I think the Phoenix police have done a marvelous job of holding themselves accountable. I think they've been a very, very forward-thinking organization. The mayor invited them in. The mayor who's backing my opponent who brought him into the race invited the DOJ in to investigate the city of Phoenix and put us under a consent decree. Now There was no civil suit or anything from a citizen's community. They organized it, coordinated okay. it with some of these groups, you know, but it, but they would not have come here. It's like you call, you or me calling the IRS and saying, investigate me. Right. Audit me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And look, in that case, when the mayor, who's tied to all the big national Democrats, calls and says, do this, it was going to happen, and it did. Mm-hmm. Um, you notice that it, you know, it, it came in immediately when Biden took office. It would, didn't happen under Trump for a reason. So um, with that, they defund your police by taking money from them and handing them to these liberal groups to elect more Democrats uh, to further these policies. They also gut the police department and how they can can interact with citizens and during a stop. And that's what they're doing right now with the city of Phoenix. They've had these new the new chief who's a role. He's here to roll over for the DOJ. They brought him from Philly for that. Let me uh, pick up on that with you when we come back. That's a really that's an interesting way of uh, of uh, putting it, because I don't think a lot of people realize um, when we hear about people who are community activists, we learned about community activism when Barack Obama put it on his resume. This is what they do. It's a this, profession. It's a profession it's a that enriches operation. itself on these kinds of schemes yeah. and scams, and it lowers the and, safety. And I think their end game in this is a Davos-worthy and possibly even Davos-connected conspiracy. All yeah. right. Well, we'll pick up on that and talk about Davos when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is our guest. He's a candidate for city council here, District 6 Phoenix. He also has his own radio show, her, heard here every uh, Saturday at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. It's a great show, great guests, great topics, he and his, uh, he and his uh, broadcasting partner. Uh, Sam, you were just telling us uh, the story of um, federal uh, meddling uh, that was invited into our law enforcement practices in the city of Phoenix, and I want to 
take that and draw it out a little bit further. So I, I actually have come to believe, and and I was having a text conversation yesterday with a higher up in the police, Phoenix Police Department, and he 100% agreed with this interpretation. I believe what we are seeing now is a nationwide conspiracy to gut local police departments, to make it impossible for them to hire, to have crime go out of control as a way to justify the federalizing of local police. And this is something Democrats, there have been Democrats in Congress who have directly talked about this. This is something Democrats want. And if you think about it, I liked the world a lot more before all the conspiracy theories turned out to be true. Um, And I'm afraid this one really is, is turning out to be true. Um, I started kind of wondering at this a few years ago, seeing the way things are happening, because it doesn't really make sense at all for anybody to defund and demoralize your local police or to reduce policing to the point where crime explodes the way it is. Why would you do that? Who benefits by that? I mean, I it, nobody, right? You, you go into the, the heavily, most heavily minority communities in Phoenix and you ask them if they want more or fewer police and the vast majority want more police. And they don't want the police backing off. So why is this such a big push from national Democrats on down to local Democrats? And I think you just have to look at things from a very self-serving financial centric interest. Policing is the single biggest line item cost to every city across this country. So if Democrats can get policing federalized, that frees up a huge amount of money for them to to spend on their pet projects and, and all the other stuff they want, right? So there, there's one interest behind it. From the federal departments, right? Their whole go their bureaucracies, their whole goal is to the expand the their bureaucracies. Right. The more the better, the more powerful they are, the better. Um, there's another element of it, right? Mm-hmm. That there's financial self-interest both in local government and in the federal government to try to make this happen. And you can't make it, you can't just do it because people like their local police. You have to, you have to get them to the point where they feel their local police are totally inadequate for the job mm-hmm. to make this justifiable. But here's the third element that scares me and why I'm really concerned about this. We have seen the federal that, that there is a bent at the federal government with the, you know, all think of COVID and all the various things. And we're seeing in Davos the various plans they have for depopulating the world and all this crazy, crazy stuff. Um, it's control. A federal police force can be controlled from a single point. If you gain control of the federal government, you gain control of the police from coast to coast. When there are issues or problems, there's no local authority to push back. There's nobody to say, no, we're not going to do this. You take it out of the hands of the people who are directly impacted and put it in the hands of people who don't care about those impacts but only care about power. Seems like there's a lot of this flowing upwards. That's what it is. It's a flowing upwards. It's a renunciation of responsibility or an abdication of it so that it can go upwards. You see this uh, with the Democrats on voting. Right. You see this uh, continually when Democrats were in charge I mean, of underst- Congress with H.R. 1s. Folks, and, and Seth, I know you understand this, and maybe folks out there, it hasn't been put clearly enough for them to make the connection, um, but states mm-hmm. – States are the biggest impediment to Democrats' priorities that exists, right? Because states like Florida Mm -hmm. and Texas and, you know, up to now Arizona 
have shown a very different path, mm-hmm. and that path has been dramatically more successful. Mm-hmm. It's been created better quality of living for its citizens. Yeah, you just look where the U-Hauls right. are going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You right. look at that. As long as that exists, it's it's much harder for Democrats to justify their policies and the imposition of their programs nationwide. Right, right. This this is right. So what I st- when I started first thinking about this, Sam, was that really eerie, frightening, and also eerie. Almost a year ago, I think it was October of 2021, when Merrick Garland, the department, the uh, head of the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, put out that letter that the FBI was going to work with local law enforcement to surveil school board parents at school board meetings. And I thought, well, now that is really weird. Not only is this business the FBI and the DOJ has should have no concern about, you don't get more local and more local government than school board meetings. Um, That's about as local as it gets. If you can think of something more local, local as it gets. There's nothing. And then what they say is they wanted to partner with the local police to monitor these things. And I thought something dramatic changed there, certainly on the First Amendment, but also in the federal, state and local partnerships of police. I think something very dramatic changed there and and throughout the covid period um, where you've seen federal reach be expanded dramatically, um, where any sort of opposition to the it's not even necessarily elected Democrats, but to the Democrats who run the institutions. If you think about Joe Biden's most acerbic speech as president, it's when he went to Georgia to campaign for the federalization of election laws. Right. And that was the speech in which he called Republicans the party of Bull Connor. Republicans were the party of, uh, you know, George Wallace, the party of the Democrats, in other words. That was his most acerbic speech. That was the thing that got his Irish up the most, the federalization of the election laws in Georgia. What turned out is that that law didn't get passed, thank God. It also turned out as an ancillary footnote to that story that more people voted. There was no voter suppression. No, like the the entire narrative of voter suppression is garbage, right? The the narrative was garbage, but that's what they wanted. They wanted to federalize traditionally and constitutionally local enforcements. Do you know what is equally a garbage narrative? That police are systemically racist. Correct. Right. I mean, this is what they're doing. They're tearing down these institutions by claiming that they're racist in each case. Right. And people recoil from that. Nobody wants to be racist. I also don't know how you recruit, you know, because you you and I grew up in a time of in the 90s when you and I were growing up in the 90s. The big push was that police force, and it still is police forces need to look more like the communities they're policing. What kind of a recruitment message is it? Please come join us, minorities. Please come join a systemically racist organization. It's it's not going to happen. It's deliberately. But again, this is all deliberate. Right. I mean, I, if you look at it through the lens of them trying to destroy local policing to justify the federalization of of local police forces across this country, then making it impossible to recruit and hire is an important step along the way. You have to drain the force. That's right, because it's... We used to talk about creative destruction. This is this is not creative destruction. This is political destruction. The other interest – well, I was talking – I don't know if you know Professor Wilfred Riley at Kentucky State University, African-American social scientist. And he was talking to me about this police and systemic racism business. Let me take the break and I'll come back with you on that. My guest is Sam 
Stone, he is a candidate for city council. Um, if you're looking for someone who holds back his thoughts and his views, vote for someone else. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He's a candidate uh, for city council. His website is samstone.vote. It's a really active and informative Twitter feed as well. Sam the Pole, right? Sam the Pole, P-O-L. P-O-L. And, uh, of course, he has his own radio show here every Saturday at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. Um, I was talking to Professor Wilford Riley earlier in the week. What was it, Tuesday, Bill? I think it was Tuesday. And... um, he does a lot of research on issues of race. He himself is African-American. Um, and he was saying that if you talk uh, – the reason I had him on was to discuss racism in, in the wake, the light of the day after the Martin Luther King holiday and the state of race and racism in America. And he was talking about how distorted the view of it is. He said by his estimations, you know, 90 percent of the country is probably pretty okay. Quite yeah, frankly, that sounds about right. And that there's probably, you know, 10 percent of lunatics on the left and 10 percent and the other, you know, 10 oh, percent oh, look, divided I, between. I, left Seth, and right. I have, I've always said that if you look at the political spectrum, there's I, I've said it's 15 percent on either end who are batty crazy. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So we're in the same realm. Yeah. And he said, and if you ask most people how many armed, excuse me, he said, if you ask most people how many unarmed African-Americans get shot by the police each year, he said, traditionally, the answer is in the thousands. Right. He said it's never really been more than 25 in his lifetime of research. No, the the worst year we had was 27. And then if you broke those down, um, there was there was like he said it was like twelve last year. Yeah, it was very it was it's gone down since then. That was yeah. twenty nineteen, which right. obviously right. you know we right. kind of contributed in the thing. But that literally was twenty seven. Mm-hmm. So these incidents are very much akin in media terms to shark attacks, right? right. They're incredibly rare. Right. It's incredibly rare for right. any unarmed person to be killed by the police. Right. Um, but he Frank, said this racist narrative is really important for public policy to shape the public policies that you well, and I were just talking. That's about. why it's right. there, because right. if you look at the numbers and there's a researcher who used to work at the Manhattan Institute. I'm forgetting her name now, but she's done really great work in policing issues. Heather McDonald. Heather McDonald. Yeah. Yes. Um, look, you look at the numbers. If a office, if you, if a white person and a black person are stopped in a felony stop, in other words, they're, the police are, are arresting them. Mm-hmm. In the stop, it's not a, a you know traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Um, the white person is about thirty percent, thirty three percent more likely to be shot by officers in that situation right. than the black person because of the reticence of because police, of the because reticence of, the of police that they because know of is the narrative come down on them. Right. Um, that's not a good thing either. No, I mean don't don't you know? Right. But and, and every every shooting's a tragedy in a certain sense, right? But at the end of the day. One of the things, and there was a very good article I shared on my Facebook feed, and I'll put it up on Twitter also if folks want to check it out there. Um, talking, they, they interviewed a veteran officer from California and asked him, you know, how many times have you had to pull your gun in your career? And he's never actually had to, to shoot anybody. He's never pulled the trigger, but he's, you know, had to, he's had to pull his gun out plenty and plenty of times. And Alec he, Baldwin has pulled more triggers than this policeman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but he was saying, look, you know, every time that happens, all I know, all I have to do is make a, a split-second bad judgment. Right, that's right. That's um, right. Just make a mistake in in a, an instant of time, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be under the under the gun myself 
you know, and, and the assumption is going to be that I've done something wrong. Yep. Um, that's a really precarious position to place police in, and they understand completely what that means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you see incidents at, on a much lesser level, I think we talked about last week with Dion Rabouine of the Wall Street Journal, yep. um, who was this was the deliberate stuff. Yeah, frankly, yes, acting right. a fool in right. front of a bank here, and an officer in order to him. create an yeah yeah appear, apparently, as far as I can tell, in order to create this incident, mm-hmm. um, the officer approached him, and the officer followed pr- protocol and procedure one hundred percent. They made zero, they did exactly what you, we train our officers to do. It was investigated by the PSB, the the Police Standards Board. Um, cleared, 100%. Officer did fine. They approach Kate Gallego. She issues an apology. We're going to be doing another investigation of it, all this kind of stuff. Every officer on the force knows that guy did exactly the right thing, and they know he's under the gun politically for doing exactly the right thing mm-hmm. because it was somebody who was trying to create an incident and who could play off the racial thing. And this is garbage. And when politicians cater to this insanity, uh-huh. it is leading to the destruction of police departments. And again, I think this is deliberate on one end. Yeah. Um, and then on others, they're just falling victim to a narrative that they are uneducated. They yeah. do not know the facts. And they are making assumptions like that there are thousands of unarmed black people killed in this country by police every year. You can break this system. You can break this system. And there is a leftist agenda to try and break certain systems to overwhelm it. It started with Francis Fox Piven uh, and uh, Bill Cloward. And it was taken over and run with by it's, Saul Alinsky. Follow, and now it's all of the money, Seth. And here, it's now standard here in Soros Phoenix alone, practice. if yeah. they were to be able to disband the Phoenix Police Department, replace them with a federal force that was paid for federally that would mean hundreds of millions of dollars per year that they spend on other things i want to do some international news with you let's do it okay we'll be right back Sam Stone is our guest this hour, as he is every Thursday. It's a delight to have him. He's a candidate for city council here in District 6. Please check him out. Please take an honest and sincere look at him. And if you think a truth teller like Sam is someone you want on the city council, help his candidacy out. Samstone.vote is his website. Sam, uh, you're running for uh, an office of responsibility, uh, political leadership, uh, political office. Every political office is an office of responsibility. It seems to me adults, when they enter the arena of public policy, have that responsibility as well. And it's a responsibility to first tell the truth, and it's a responsibility to not put everyone in panic, particularly young people. It's a responsibility not to ignore a bad situation or overhype and catastrophize Mm -hmm. uh, an otherwise uh, fairly innocuous or not needing of catastrophizing situation. We saw all of this on hyperspeed in uh, COVID. There is, as many people know, something taking place abroad called the World Economic Forum. Um, this audio, I played it a lot yesterday. Let me let me just play it here, too, again, to set this conversation up about what these adults, formerly of elected office, of quote-unquote responsibility, are telling the people and the children of the world. And the accumulated amount 
is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land. And Hiroshima's uh, by by the tenfold. Um, rain bombs, rain bombs, and boiling oceans. I, news flash: No ocean has ever boiled. Also, there are no rain bombs. Drastic weather events have been lesser in the last decade than they have been previously. Literally every word of that was a lie designed to scare idiot children. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry, children, that I just called you that. But Well, not all children are but, idiots. But fall, <laughs> that's not what he's Falling says, yeah. for this, right. that's the trap you're falling into. They're using you as the useful fools for their new revolu- their green revolution. Um, look, we can all agree that less pollution is better than more pollution, cleaner air is better than dirty air, clean water is better than dirty water, and we all have a responsibility to the planet and to each other to limit our impacts in reasonable ways. Um, What they're doing now, I I truly believe, is to set up a depopulation of the planet. Mm -hmm. I think they're pushing very hard in that direction. I think when they say that the, That's why the, they brought Paul Ehrlich back right, out of yeah, retirement. Look, when, when they say that, book, that this right. planet should only support 500 million people, they are dead serious and dead set on getting there. And that should be a very scary thing to most people on, the, on this planet, because it means, you know, look at yourself in the mirror. If the back if what you're seeing behind you is not the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, your room at the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum, you're not one of the 500 million they're planning on keeping around. Great point. I mean, it's a great point. No, I mean, John Kerry, in his speech, he was talking about we special people. You right. Know? No, this is they view this is a very elitist, mm-hmm. um, very disconnected group of people. And, you know, I was actually talking about this with the group I was I was just at before this. But um, there are a long lot of studies over time that the psychological makeup of the world's most powerful people, presidents, CEOs, and so forth, is essentially the exact same psychological makeup as serial killer. Mm-hmm. They tend to be have significant psychopathic tendencies. Mm-hmm. They've narcissistic sim- personality narcissistic disorder. personality disorder. Uh-huh. They have clearly authoritarian personality, yep. as Adorno used to write. And, mm-hmm. and they have clearly redirected those psychopathic tendencies, their psychopathy, into instead of murder, mm-hmm. it's policy. into policy or, or you know money, mm-hmm. whatever. It might be. Um, that's not the kind of person I want deciding the fate of the world for me because I know darn well they do not care one whit about me and my death is just a statistic they would welcome on the way to their objective. You know, Hannah Arendt, a uh, po- famous political philosopher in the 50s and 60s, uh, undertook uh, probably some of the most serious uh, study of authoritarianism in our time on totalitarianism, on authoritarianism, or her major essays. And in one of her essays, she talks about a quote I often use, which is the tendency she has seen and was beginning to see in the late 1950s of progressive education. Her phrase, the tendency of progressive education, her phrase, was to have adults' political combat take place on the playgrounds of our kindergartners. Mm -hmm. That's what she was pointing out then. And that's a lofty way of saying we are using children to soothe adult anxieties or to uh, fix adult concerns. We saw this very clearly during COVID. This was immediately apprehensible during COVID. I think you saw it too 
with the Florida bill that DeSantis signed that got so much attention that put so many kindergarten teachers in tears on on TikTok, that libs of TikTok exposed that they could no longer talk about their sex lives with their kindergartners, right? Um, They are using children. They use children. And if you connect that to serious authoritarian regimes of the past, they all have big youth movements. Well, it's an essential element because, look, you can teach kids to believe anything. I mean, this is this is not quackery. This is just simple psychology. Children can be taught to believe virtually anything at all, um, as long as you reinforce that system religiously. And religious, I use the word religiously very deliberately, because obviously a re- religion is a system from youth of implementing a certain way of view, right? A certain point of view. And you can see the success. I, I'm not, that's not a critique. I'm just pointing out that kids are trained to believe mm-hmm. in religion from mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. And it works. Mm -hmm. Every social psychological experiment has shown that you can teach them anything you want. And on their own, they think there's Batman sometimes. Right. Right. The most authoritarian evil regimes in history have understood this better than everyone else. And they use it. Right. I think I mean, we always know this, but ideally we'd like to to not politicize children and to let them be kids. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for anybody to be sharing anything about their sexuality or their sex life with a kindergartner. Or telling kids they're going to kill grandma. Yeah, any, none of it, right? right? Um, unless you have a desired political outcome you're exactly. trying to create. Now we've created a generation. And I've dealt with these kids up front and personal. Of course you have. They have no idea what they're talking about. When you start asking them about their environmental beliefs and why they're like militant about it, they do not know the first thing about any of the systems or the industries or how any of this works. They don't know a dang thing, but they're certain of Mm -hmm. what they know. That's right. That's right. The certitude is through the roof. The depth of knowledge is low. And part of that is our education system. But if you want to put in a word for religion, I mean, this has been understood since the days of Plato that we have an obligation to teach our children well. It's understood, obviously, that's a direct quote right out of the Bible, teach your children well. If you don't like the Bible, try Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Let me take a quick break. Let me progressivism <laughs> is now a religion. It absolutely is. I mean, it's the second oldest religion, as, uh, as Whitaker Chambers likes to put it, Marxism particularly. If you are concerned with stock market volatility... Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. Why Refi is a due diligence, due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I know these guys well. Sam does too. Great guys. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and thank you for spending uh, some of your day with us. Uh, really appreciate it. Th- Sam Stone, thank you for spending some of your hour with us. Thank you for putting your hat in the ring. I'll give you the last word here today. Well, Seth, thank you for bringing me into the studio here again today because I always enjoy these conversations with you. Uh, folks, obviously, we've been talking about uh, you know a lot of sort of far-reaching issues that are not very concrete. The job of a city council is largely concrete. I'm asking for your support 
I can't tell you how many conversations I've had in the last decade with conservatives who are like, hey, we got to fight back in our inner cities just like we do in our schools. Right. And I think we're now finally paying attention to the schools and we're doing a good job of that. Well, folks, I am the only Republican running for office right now in the state of Arizona. Okay? I mean, I'm the only conservative office candidate out there. I am running for a seat where I know I'm going in in the minority, but I know how to go in there and have a major impact on the policy of the city of Phoenix. And I'm asking you, do do you stand behind what you've been telling me all these years, folks? Are you going to stand there? Because right now, I'll be honest, I'm calling all these people trying to raise money. And what I'm getting is, oh, the mayor told me not to give you money and they're afraid. So all the people I'm getting out raised six to one. I'm still in this fight. I got out raised six to one in the primary. It was neck and neck. There was no dang difference between us. I'm going to beat this guy. If I just have a little bit of help, I'm going to beat this guy. So I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you folks, and I don't do that. I am not a beggar. I'll make a plea. For those of you that say, well, I don't want to get involved or um, it's you know not something I typically get involved in, ask yourself how well that's worked out for you. Yeah. Ask yourself how well that's worked out for you. And if your city and community is important to you, we're, we're this is your let, last stop. And we're doing letters to everyone in the district. If you send me six bucks, I can send ten letters out, hand signed to to the district. If you come in and and go to samstone.vote, sign up, volunteer, you can help me write those and put those out. That's what I need. I need your help, folks. Or this isn't going to happen, and we're going to lose our toehold in Phoenix. Sam Stone, easy to spell. Dot vote, samstone.vote. Folks, again, thank you. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I am Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 